Love and Watches is a podcast for male and female watch lovers alike. Perpetual Girl and Ranch Racer are a watch-crazy wife and husband team, bringing you the latest in news, gossip, controversy, and anything else that matters in the world of watches. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, watch fam, this is Ranch Racer. And this is Perpetual Girl. And you guys have made it to episode 21 of the Love and Watches podcast. Uh, today we've got some fun stuff coming up for you guys. We have another guest that I know a lot of you guys will recognize. Um, we I don't think we really have any uh, any news or anything to get into today. We can just pretty yeah, much we'll jump have a right lot to talk it, about. Right? So I think yeah, for sure. We're good. So uh, our guest today is is someone that probably a lot of you guys uh, have been following on Instagram. You've probably checked out his website and. Uh, He's got a book out there, and that's kind of how I found him originally, and that is Anthony from the No BS Watchmaker. Anthony, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. It's a pleasure. We, we've been, uh, we've actually been talking, you and I have been talking back and forth for quite a while about getting this done, and it took us, uh, it took us some time to get set up for bringing guests on, but we're, uh, we're happy to have you, man. This is really cool. I've, I read your book, I think, when it first came out. PG, you've been reading I'm, it. I'm in the middle of reading it, and it's really giving us a lot of good conversation here at home. It is. Oh, yeah. that's great. Lots yeah. of conversation. Yeah. No, there's a lot of good stuff in it. So, um, so Anthony, usually the way we start out is we just do a quick, quick uh, wrist check. And since you're our guest, I'm going to throw it over to you first. Sure. Um, I'm wearing a JLC uh, reversal, as a matter of fact. <gasps> oh, oh, right on. Right yes, on. I am. Very See, cool. I say JLC because some people say Jaeger and then some people say Jeje. Yeah. <laughs> so yep. I just keep it simple and say JLC. I'm with you, dude. Anytime I can use the initials, I do because I cannot <laughs> pronounce French or any of that stuff. So German, forget yeah. it. <laughs> oh, man. Forget about uh, forget about trying to pronounce Alanga. Oh, God. Uh, that's the worst. ALS, dude. That's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Which, uh, which model are you wearing? Uh, I'm wearing the one where it's uh, when you flip it over, there's like a black dial in the front. It's a night oh and day. Yeah. 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 That's so, yeah. You came close to buying that. I one. almost bought yeah. that one last year in, in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I ended up buying the Oris um, Carl Brashear chronograph instead. But that's uh, a huge leap. <laughs> it was. I mean, completely <laughs> different. Always. Right. Such a different yeah. watch. Um, and we, I, we have a very diverse collection. We have very. Yeah. For our listeners know, our collection is just it just. There's all over. <laughs> no rhyme or reason. It's all over the place. Um, hey, if you like it, that that's very important. That's that's all that matters. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, PG, you want to do a quick quick uh, wrist check? Sure. I'm actually <clears throat> wearing. Uh, speaking of Las Vegas, yeah. Uh, the Santos Cartier, mm -hmm. the men's medium, and this was one that I had. A, I have a little story for our guests later. You want to uh, just do it really quick it. now? Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. So this is this is actually one of my favorite watches, and I had been looking at it online for a long time and when ranch racer and i went to las vegas for the couture time show uh we popped into the cartier boutique and i read in your book that you should get like the best experience from a boutique because they know it they have all their selection and but you, you don't necessarily always get the best experience with a salesperson and i, I see this as a theme in your book and I totally agree with you because we went in there and I asked about this model and the salesperson just, he did not want to be bothered with me. Yeah. No. I, I don't know if I didn't look like I was going to buy it or if he had made a judgment or if he was having a bad day, but I was ready to buy the watch and 
he's like, well, I have I have that model in the window, but and he just seemed kind of he didn't offer you to get it or show you yeah, anything. And he didn't just, like, offer me a glass of water. Didn't want to be bothered. <laughs> wow. wow. So we uh, marched over to Tourneau and we purchased we it, it there. there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's um, and made a lifelong friend. With yeah, our we have a really a really yeah. good friend that we text and yep. chit chat about fun things and um, mm. but it's I, I so agree with you on if you have a bad experience, it could kind of tarnish your whole. Uh, oh yeah, your whole outlook towards a brand. Yeah, you, if you know you're not careful. You know what's funny about that is that it's a great thing that you mentioned that a lot of people don't talk about kind of this side of the aspect of the industry. Um, a lot of the salespeople, maybe not even in the watch industry, outside of industries as well, but when they look at you, they immediately try to size you up to say whether or not you're going to buy today or you're not. Yeah. And if they made up their mind that you're not going to buy today, they don't want to waste their time. Yep. Yeah, and we've had that experience. Man, we we drove into a, a an Audi dealership years ago when we were moving, oh, yeah. and we had you know our big Ford Dually truck, you know, big ranch truck, and it's it looked like the Beverly Hillbillies. It was I piled mean, it was high with piled chairs high with stuff and we got back, the dog you know. with her head hanging out. Oh yeah, I mean oh, we just man. and I was in dirty clothes and just you know ragged and and uh, it's like three or four salespeople totally ignored us, and then this one older guy comes up. He ran right Super up. Super friendly. Yeah. You know, we ended up buying an Audi from this guy and it, it just it just goes to show, you know, as a salesperson and we'll we'll get more into this with you, but as a, you know, as a salesperson don't ever judge a book by its cover cuz you just never Agreed. know, you know. Especially in this day and age, we're in a more casual society. You just don't ever do that cuz you can really screw screw yourself. So <laughs> Oh man, I could not agree more. Yeah. I could not agree more. You have no idea how many people come, like I've seen walk around in t-shirts and flip-flops. Uh, they're not wearing suits or dress shirts, but yet they, they their, col- their watch collection or their, their, their net worth is insane. Oh and yeah. You would never, you would never even, you could never even imagine that just by looking at them. No, you wouldn't even know. And then, but then if you, if you're a watch guy and you look down at their wrist, you know, the guy's wearing a million dollar Richard Mill or you just never know, you know? Yeah, I agree. It, it's nuts. Yeah. All right. Well, today I am wearing um, a new one that PG, you wore this a couple episodes ago. It was a totally unplanned purchase. It just, it worked out because we have a, a really good relationship with our local AD. I'm wearing the uh, newer Maxi Dial Submariner. This is a brand new one we just bought. Uh, no date. Oh. We just bought uh, a few weeks ago from our, our local AD who we've, they, they've become just really good friends as well. And they're, that's kind of the same thing. The first time we walked in there, we were in jeans and t-shirts and we've ended up buying several pieces from those guys so um, oh, wow. super good guys and they're they're not a boutique or anything they're just a local rolex ad but oh, uh, that's cool that's neat yeah good people good people and so, we share that watch because it's got the quick adjust the glide lock yeah. glide lock so we uh. can actually quickly shorten it and i can wear it and it's made it a little difficult because we fight over it. We fight over it constantly. We didn't <laughs> wow. think we would, but we're constantly because it's just such a, a nice watch, and we're, we fight over it quite a bit because it's so easy to, yeah, you know, you'll just steal it right off my wrist. Well, I kind of that's why I kind of <laughs> wanted you to wear it to buy that JLC because I could have worn uh, that you too. You could have worn that, yeah, leather band, yeah, for sure. But, oh, uh, before I forget, yeah. um, PG, PG uh, you, yes. you mentioned you have a Santos, correct? Yes. There is a Cartier promotion. That will service your Santos, no matter what type of Santos it is, for free. Really? So you should bring. Yep, you should check that out before. Uh, I'm not sure if it's still going on, but last I checked, like a couple weeks ago, they had a promotion where any Santos you have, bring it into Cartier, and they'll service it for free. Wow, because oh, we've had the watch about a year. 
Yeah, like a year. Yeah, you should yeah. you should bring it in. We'll we'll be we'll in Vegas. Yeah, we'll be in Vegas yeah, next should, week. You should check it out. Don't totally. bring it into Tourneau. Bring it into Cartier. Yeah, we'll as, we'll as, go to the civilist. Okay. We'll go to the Cartier boutique that wouldn't sell us a watch. <laughs> Even if we didn't buy it at the boutique, can we take it in to them? Yes, it's a Santos. No matter what type, it's, as long as it's a Santos, as long as it's from Cartier, if you bring wow. it in, you know they'll check it out. So it's, it, you just, it, for some reason, it jump started my memory there when you mentioned Santos. Oh, Wonderful, right thank you. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I, I mean, I think our our listeners definitely want to want to get into this. And I want to get in this interview. I've been looking forward to this for a while. So. Um, so again, Anthony, you, um, you're not the typical watch. So when I think of a watchmaker, I'm, t- I'm as guilty as everybody else. I think of like some hundred, hundred year old dude hunched over a, <laughs> a, little a dark Swiss little guy. table in yeah. the back room, right? Working on some old watch. And oh yeah. You're the antithesis, antithesis of that. Um, and it just seems like you're trying to bring watchmaking to the masses, right? So you've got your your Instagram account with all your followers there, and you're always posting pictures and challenging people to figure out what's wrong with this specific movement. Um, mm-hmm. You got your website, you got your podcast, you got your book, you've just released your training. You're doing all this amazing stuff to really kind of. It seems like you're trying to change the perception of of watchmaking in general. How did this all get rolling for you, man? Oh man. Um, well, when I it's let's start off with a you know a little context be you know before I start the whole thing. You know, when I first started watchmaking, it was like I learned from an old school watchmaker, and it was like do it this way, and that's it. And then that's how I learned. Uh, I, it was taught to me kind of in a way where you know this is a, a a backup skill. You know, this isn't your primary profession, but this is just in case your primary profession fails. And for the most part, when I was learning it, it was so com. It, it was taught to me in a complex way it was taught to me in a boring way and then as i got into the field um it, it just it was just like everywhere it was, it was everyone perpetuated the same concept of it's complicated it's boring if, have you tried reading a traditional watchmaking book you know like i fell asleep within a couple <laughs> pages in you know oh, yeah. and, and and things like that and meanwhile i'm a watchmaker even i'm like falling asleep and i'm reading this stuff and i'm like how is anyone even <laughs> getting this like i have no idea and 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 literally that just kind of got the ball rolling for me um and then i guess i I started i started it on a kind of um let's see what i can do you know what i mean because i just kept seeing it come up and and i think the biggest quote was something along the lines of be the change you want to see in the world right Mm -hmm. and so i was like you know let me start an instagram account and just see how it works you know kind of just see how how it'll go and then I don't even I can't, I can't even tell you within the first year it was just the the response was ridiculous and um and it just from there it, it, everyone was messaging me to kind of do a book and then from there the book you know sold itself and, and it became like a bestseller on Amazon and then you know one thing led to another and then you got the course now that's kind of out and you know the podcast and the blog and it's it's insane and um, for the most part it's i just wanted to when you think of watchmaking you don't even think of anything that's fun you know you just think of watches (laughs) you don't really it's not even i don't even see it advertised you know like i've had people message me on instagram saying i never even knew watchmaking was a thing and yeah it's like little things like that where combine that with the fact that you know your average watchmaker is dying off and you only have probably i mean that's statistically this is what they say you know you only have several hundred entering the field every year 
Mm. And meanwhile, a large majority of them are either retiring or they're dying off because you can work in watchmaking until you're 90 plus years old, mm -hmm. give or take. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, uh, the, the, the trade is a dying trade, honestly. Well, and I, I don't want to interrupt too much, but I know that my husband would love to, to go to a school and really learn how to do this on his off time for a hobby, for fun, for maybe, you know, a backup, like you said. But I think there's one school in Connecticut. In the U.S.? In yeah, the U.S. Not, and I, and there might be one in you can't really leave your family and go, you know, quit your job and not make income to go do this for two years. It's like starting I, over a new career. It's, yeah, it's really agree. a shame, but um, I love that you're putting that out there that could really change things and make it make it available to people. Exactly. And, you know, it, to your point, it's it's very, very important that people understand for the most part, if you wanted to learn watchmaking from a traditional school, you know, you're looking minimum two years and right. you're 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 uprooting your entire life. You're moving to another yeah. state or a country. Um, the most common one is the one in uh, Pennsylvania from Lidditz. Uh, Let us yeah. watch Technicum from, from Rolex, right? Yeah. And then uh, another one, another very, very common one is Wolfsep over in Switzerland. Yeah. Uh, for the most part, if you're if, uh, for, for Ranch Racer, right? So there's a, a school over in Ohio, Harrison, Ohio. Okay. And, and um, AWCI, American Watchmakers Institute. Uh, so you should check that out. But they do five-day-long courses. Um, the head instructor is Tom Shoemaker. It's, it's, it's great. He's a great teacher. So if that's something you're interested in, you know, you could take five days off, you know, go there and, and, and get your hands tinkering with watches if you want. So that that's cool. Yeah, I, I'm on their the email list. I get those those emails. And that's something that I have thought about is, is taking a week and going and doing that. And just I just could, I could maybe get so by cool. with livestock on my own. Yeah, you for have five to take days. care of all the animals yeah. for a week. It's we've got about 20 <laughs> of them. And they, rain, they can, some of them are 1500 pounds. Yeah, they wow. get pretty big. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, no, that's, and that's important for people to know is there are other ways. And like we were talking about before we started recording the show, I've, I've taken some online courses. I've done some one day, you know, traveling watchmaking courses and that kind of stuff. So there are ways to learn. And now guys like you, you've got your watchmaking course out. There are other ways to do this besides, like you said, uprooting your entire life and going and, and doing a two-year traditional course. There are other ways to do it. But it is an art form. And when I read yeah. your, in your book about how a woman came in with her watch and her clasp didn't work, and when you first started fixing that particular style of clasp, it would take you about 45 minutes to an hour. And after many years of doing it, you can do it in 45 seconds. Oh, man, and... I, I, can, I still tell that story from now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading some really great stuff in, in the book. So, yeah, it, it, it is an art form. It's just like doing anything like learning watercolor or, you know, when you first start, it's hard and it's going to take time. So a course like that is a good start. But, mm -hmm. you know, online has got to be a little tough. But with video, you know, you're going to well, get some interaction and, and that's the technology thing. With, with technology. We're seeing what Anthony can do now with with modern technology. When watchmaking first started all those hundreds of years ago, I mean, that, that this stuff didn't exist. So there are now are other ways to deliver good, reliable content to people to learn. Right. I mean, I think you use Teachable, right? Yeah, I, I use Teachable simply because of the formats there and, and it has the curriculum kind of set up. And I just wanted to, I didn't want to change the wheel with that. You know, sure. So I just kept it with Teachable. Yeah, no, it, it makes uh, it makes total sense. Um, so you're like we said, you're younger than the average watchmaker. You're how did you get 
what made you decide to go into watchmaking? I mean, it's not a typical career choice, like you've said Especially these for, days, right? Yeah. How, what, how did this? How'd you get into it? Oh man, uh, it's it's it's. It, I literally joke around and tell people it should be a movie at this point, and I get that a lot. Uh, <laughs> I actually did not want to be a watchmaker, contrary to the popular belief. Uh, I hated watchmaking. Okay, uh, my father was a watchmaker, and oh. at the time when I was my, at the time when I was growing up. Um, I was I was a, I was a child, you know. I was like nine, ten, and I would look, I would see my father on the bench every day, kind of working, and it was never interesting to me. And then when I hit twelve years old, uh, from, I I remember vividly when I, when I hit twelve years old, it was from then on, five thirty every single morning, on the bench working on watches till about seven o'clock, seven thirty, get ready for school, uh, go to school, come back home, do homework. And immediately hop back onto a bench until dinner time, and oh. then rinse and repeat, and wow. that was my life. And wow. I'm telling you, on Saturdays, oh, as a child, as a kid, you want to watch your cartoons. Oh, yeah. You want to go outside. Yeah. Pl- you want to play ride freeze tag. And- oh yeah. Yeah, freeze ride tag. your bike. You want to go outside and you know play games and have fun and and you know enjoy the enjoy the environment outside yeah. the weather. Nope. Saturday, five oh, thirty in the morning on the bench until nighttime. Sounds like my youth as a wow. pianist. Yeah. Oh Same my goodness. Yeah. And then uh, it so you can see kind of as as a, as a kid, you know that child that apprentice. Toll, yeah. That just takes a toll on you. Not even, you know, like I was, I quit multiple times. Oh, we you had out. many many arguments, and I I never, I, I hated watchmaking for that fact because it was just forced onto me. And my father was one of those old school watchmakers where he was like, here, just I need to teach you this. I need to tell you I need to teach you what I know and you how you want to do with it is up to you. But I need to make sure that you can always put food on the table, that type of mentality. Right. Yeah. And um, which is actually of really course, cool. Yeah. It, yeah. I, in hindsight, <laughs> it's always that way. You don't see it at the time. <laughs> yeah. At the time, I, I hated it. You know, like I, I, I can't tell you how much I hated it. And um, what ended up happening was that I started going. I started working. Uh, I actually started working as a watchmaker at a very, very when I was legal. Able, when I was legally able to work, I was a watchmaker already. Wow. Um, and I worked up until I finished uh, college, as a matter of fact, and I finished uh, uh, schooling. And then when I finally got into my primary profession um, and I actually left watchmaking to go into my primary profession, it was it was nowhere near the amount of pay that watchmaking had provided me. And then wow. at that point was when I kind of looked at it and was like, whoa, you know, watchmaking has gotten me this far in life and and then i was like it's you know i was thinking i was really thinking in hindsight kind of you know i I had money when my peers didn't you know i i was able to solve things and do things when my peers couldn't and ever since then i kind of looked at it with a different eye uh, different eyes and then i looked at it and i was like you know you know watchmaking has gotten me this far let me kind of see where i can go with it if i actually put my effort and time into it you know and that's when i started to kind of appreciate watchmaking um but i never wanted to get into watchmaking to begin with <laughs> and i show, and i tell people that all the time and and it and people it just blows people's minds sometimes and they're like wow you never wanted to be a watchmaker and i'm like no never did how fun well now you've like you've turned the whole thing on its head i mean you're you've yeah like totally changed the whole perception of watchmaking and it's really cool now is your father still alive 
Yeah, my father's still alive. And how does he feel about the the uh, technology with the course online? Is he pretty? He has to be pretty proud of that. Pretty proud of his son. Uh, at first, he. At first, he, here's the funny thing about watchmaking. A lot of them are. A lot of watchmakers are very secretive, and I don't know why. Maybe it's because it's a low tech. It's really a low tech field, right? Um, so they're not really they're not really embracing technology as well as other industries. Um, you can even see it in the brands now, you know, the manufacturers today. But for the most part, when he first heard that I was kind of teaching people watchmaking on Instagram and, and or giving away like golden nuggets for free, oh, um, yeah. the way he saw it was, you know, why why are you doing that? You know, why are you for what? You know, like, uh, you know, why are you giving away people? Why are you giving away years of your work right. for free? You know, and, and then people... Uh, they won't appreciate it, right? Like, like you're you're just gonna saturate the field and make yourself um, expendable at that point. Like that's how that's how he thought of it, and I'm sure that's how 95% of other watchmakers think of it. And when I started, you know, good, this is a good thing you brought it up. You know, when I first started on Instagram, I was getting a lot of hate, a lot of hate from other watchmakers. A lot of other watchmakers messaged me with hate mail, like they would. Uh, 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 they would bombard me all the time, saying, "Why are you, why are you giving away the secrets? You know, why are you?" Essentially, it was. I don't want to go into specifics with it, but it was just very, very unpleasant. Sure, and, that's too bad because um, you're saving the and, industry of watchmaking, pretty uh, much yeah, for the next generation. I, I, I try you know, at that point, but you know, I thought that I thought the hate and, and spam I got would have been from other people. But it actually being from my own industry and my wow. own peers That's uh, crazy. for the most part. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, you know, there's a lot of that on Instagram and in some of these watch related groups too, because like one example, we were in at the couture time in Las Vegas and uh, Ranch Racer met with one uh, manufacturer, a big one, and mm-hmm. sat down and we were, there, we were there just to have fun. We had just started the podcast and, and he wanted to see the new lineup for, you know, last year and and she goes, okay, so what do you want? How much do you want? He's like, what? She's like, how much money do you want to, you know, do the review on us? Because all the other it, people it who had podcasts yeah. and come from big uh, publications online, they all re- they all request thirty grand or twenty grand or to just sit and yeah. talk to these people. They ask the manufacturer for all this money, and she's like, what? You're not asking for money? And she was so happy. It, and like, so it, like, refreshed. Day. Yeah. 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 So I think a lot of, we're not getting some, you know, we're not getting positive nods from our peers as, you know, if you would call it media. We're not really media. So we can feel your pain. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that way. man. I'm sure you we're have, blacklisted. You have no idea how that's kind of, and, and that's one of the topics of discussion I've had with many, many people after I released that book, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a lot of them, kind of they eat up the words of other bloggers mm. like the gospel truth kind of sure so if if you know if many of these major publications out there say that this brand is great you have ho- you have hordes of their followers just say oh my god okay this brand is great you know yeah. and they don't even question it and for the most part it's been it's been kind of like a joke at this point you know mm. where these bloggers are supposed to present a unbi- if you look at the bloggers as journalists um, it's supposed to be unbiased, 
you know, it's supposed to present the good, the bad, and it's supposed to say what they personally think, I guess, at some point. Yep. But for the most part, it, a lot of these bloggers are bought and paid for. You know, they're charging these companies and as well. keeping like the said. watch. And oh, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. kind of hard it's, to be unbiased when you've got your wallet's all full and you've got this gorgeous <laughs> diamond-studded piece You're on your wrist. Getting flown all yeah. over the world. <laughs> getting wined and dined. And... It's insane, yeah. So, so people think we're crazy for not asking for something, but it's, uh, we just do it because we love, we the love pure, the hobby and yeah. collecting and, you know, just for the pure hey, enjoyment of it. The way I see it is if you, if at the end of the day you can sleep at night, that that's the main important part. Absolutely. That, you know, the money. Uh, the... Yep. No, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about your book. Cause again, that's how I discovered you. Uh, and then I found you on Instagram and I, I've learned so much just following you on IG and reading the book and now super mm -hmm. looking forward to the course, but the book, which is for those of you that haven't read it, it's 100 plus no BS watch tips. And it's, it's a bit of a mixture of some, a, a lot of great educational points for even the, the non watch person or the person just Absolutely. getting into watches. But then it's also mixed in with advice for watchmakers, which I really found fascinating because I'm not a watchmaker. I love you know, I'm, I'm probably one of those guys that you love because I'll open the case back and screw something up and i got to bring it to a watchmaker <laughs> to get it fixed. Yeah. But I just Don't love, look at that with a loop. <laughs> yeah, I love tinkering. I love learning about the mechanics. So it's a good mixture, but it, it seems to appeal to, to a wide range of, of folks. And one thing that comes out in the book, uh, obviously, is your frustration over the years with salespeople. Um, with, with in the jewelry and the watch industry, especially as it relates to your relationships with them. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, man. Um, geez, I, I don't know where to begin. Um, here's the thing. Uh, when I first started as a watchmaker, I for so we'll go back to the topic. My father taught me watchmaking. So I never had any interactions with salespeople. I never even knew uh, what could possibly go wrong or what to expect. So when I went out into the field, and I had my first experience with salespeople. I almost felt watchmakers are almost treated like a second-class citizen. You know, they're, mm -hmm. they're when you're when you're in there and they're kind of coming at you and just tossing watches at you, saying, "Oh, change the strap or change this link or you know, change this battery," and they kind of treat you like you're you're their servant. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and um, it, it's when I first came out into the industry like that, and that's what I was you know met with. You had no idea how much, like, how that changed my perception on salespeople. And I was just like, and of course, you know, not every single salesperson is like that. There are some golden nuggets on there. Sure. Uh, but for the most part, like, the salespeople were one of my biggest, biggest issues. Because they would they would be the ones who actually cause damages on, on stock pieces before the customer even gets them. Right. They were the ones who needed us to change the strap, even though they butchered it. They would be the ones who, um, let's say, when they take watches in and out of the case to show customers, they would be the ones who bang it up and ding it up. <sighs> so I, as the watchmaker, actually, I, as the watchmaker at the time, had to fix their issues, fix their fix their mistakes. So I had to polish watches. I had to change these straps. I had to fix them up. I had to make them look brand new again. And, of course, as the customer, you guys don't even hear anything about that in your head. It came from the it came from the case. It should be brand new watch. Meanwhile, in the salesperson's perspective and the watchmaker's perspective in the industry, you know, if if you got a watch 
their goal was to make it look new for you. You know, like if they dinged up that bracelet or they scratched up the bracelet taking in and out of the case, the first thing they'll do is when you guys are buying it would be rushing to the watchmakers and saying, hey, can you pause this for me real quick? <laughs> to make and, the sale. Right. Yeah, yeah to just make to make sale. the sale. Just to make the sale. And at the worst, you know, when you're polishing something, uh, the proper way to really do it is to take everything apart. Sure. And for a brand new watch, you're in, in theory, you're not supposed to take apart anything. You're not supposed to even polish it. Meanwhile, you know, here you are, here I was when I first started, you know, because they were breathing down my necks and they had approval from the higher ups. And you would not believe the amount of crap that had to go on mm. and i had to polish the wash even though it's supposed to be a brand new watch and the customer never even knew about it and the worst part was was that i didn't have that interaction with that customer for me to tell them i was kept downstairs in a basement you know like I, you know or i was kept down <laughs> i was kept in the back room behind a locked you door weren't, you weren't in front of the glass <laughs> like the animal in your book the glass wall yes, yes. well yeah that, that was too um and and as i moved around from different jobs there was one point where i was behind a glass window and they i literally felt like an exhibit like i felt like a zoo exhibit you know yeah. i felt like an animal like, like the puppy in uh, the mall yeah and and don't get me wrong i get it well from people are the, intrigued yeah exactly i get it that people are intrigued and they want to come take a look um but just kind of the way the way the companies kind of um set the whole thing up it i couldn't help but feel like an animal you know i couldn't help sure. but feel like an exotic animal when they <laughs> And they come peering, and then there's some. I like. I'll tell you. I'll tell you a story that I actually didn't even put in the book, right? Um, one time, I okay. So one time, I worked for this company where I was sitting behind a glass window, but around the door, around the room, there's a side door, right? And it was on a Sunday, and I was working retail, of course, and a customer brought in a watch to change the strap, and so I'm changing the strap, and it's it's relatively quiet. The there's only like one service person there one service associate right so she took in the watch she get the strap change and she stepped off to go get something else so then the customer was at the window just like knocking on the window the entire time oh just telling me to, telling me to hurry up and i'm looking i'm like what are you what are you like i'm, t I'm like it's not quick and simple mm -hmm. and then it got to the point where he literally just walked right around the corner to the door and and stepped into the room and looked at me and and, and just like pointed his finger at oh, his wrist like God. like like hurry up and i <sighs> looked at him and i was so mad and i was just like what do you think this is you know like this is like i'm this takes time if you want to do it you can do it yeah and uh, long story short it was just like there's I have many many stories like that oh, where God. i felt kind of and, and and i'm not saying it's a service associate's fault or anything like that but there are many many there, there are better ways to kind of situate a watchmaker or treat a watchmaker from a salesperson's perspective and a customer's perspective um, that the industry just doesn't, you know, it's not out there. You know, you don't yeah. hear stories like this from watchmakers. You're, you don't. Yeah, you're not a peer. You're more like their employee, it seems. But there's so much craftsmanship that goes into it. And it, could it, when I was this in New York City, could this also have been maybe that the fast-paced culture of people wanting everything well, yesterday or... Well, at first I thought that was at first I thought it was a New Yorker thing, right? And I and your great point you bring up too. So at first I thought it was a New York thing, but when I posted my experiences of similar stories like this, you have no idea how many watchmakers from around the world have messaged me about the same thing. Wow. You know, and they they feel the same exact way and that they're glad someone's actually talking about it now.
Wow, that's awesome. That kind of boggles my mind because when we take a watch in to get serviced, I don't even expect a call for an estimate until at least a week. week. Yeah, it's just part of the ownership experience. You know it's going to take some time. Because they're kind of like the master, like, ah, like Obi-Wan, he's the Jedi (laughs) of the watch world. (laughs) You would not believe how many people have have brought in their watches uh, on Monday and, or actually, as a matter of fact, at a store where a customer brought in a watch at Monday and we closed at 6 p.m. and they brought it in at 5.55 p.m. And they called the very first thing in the morning when we open up at 10 a.m. expecting an estimate. They're like, how come I didn't receive an estimate yet? And oh we look God. up the repair history and he just brought it in the night before. Oh. And you have the, the expectation is not set. Sure. Okay. So, I mean, it, even in the book, like I go, I go over this a little bit too as well in in terms of um, expectations you know a lot of the thing a lot of the things these salespeople are supposed to present up front it's it's not being done you know if we set the expectation up front you know if you have a rolex right or if you have a regular mechanical watch or whatever watch you guys have on you know if you expect to get it serviced sooner or later you know like you have no idea how many people come in saying, oh, oh, I have a Rolex and I shouldn't need to get a service, you know, <laughs> or I have a Breitling, Omega, you know, you name it. And they're like, they're supposed to stand behind their product. And it's it's just expectations not set up front at that point. Sure. Well, and I love your analogy about a car because, <clears throat> excuse me, I've, I've often said that when someone will ask me, I want to buy a watch for my girlfriend or my husband. And it's like how do you buy a watch for somebody you have to take in so many things it's like it's like buying a car i always say what mm-hmm. are they using it for what are they like um are they do they want to deal with a battery do they like older things i mean it's 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 very much like buying a car where I there's agree. so there's so not every car is the same and you have to and understand cars the require pers- service. and cars require maintenance you've got to change oil and do all these things and then when i started reading that in your book i'm like this is awesome yeah it, it's great i mean i <clears throat> For the most part, the book was kind of created for, like Rand Tracer was mentioning, it's such a wide range of topics, and I, I just wanted to get a book out there that was that had something for everybody, you know, where they, they were a salesperson, and you have no idea how many salespeople have bought the book, and, and they just, like, thank me about it the entire time. Oh, um, that's cool. Si- that's yeah, cool. you know, whether it's for salespeople, whether it's for watch enthusiasts or even watchmakers, you know, like it's some there's something in there for everybody at this point. And a lot of it I find is common sense. And and yeah. things that reminded me like just yesterday I was wearing my Speedmaster that has a mother of pearl dial. That mm. was uh we bought each other for our anniversary last year some Speedmasters and you made an, a a really short one sentence comment about mother of pearl how it's such a fragile shell. That yes. I'm thinking to myself, I should not be mucking out a horse stall with this watch on. No, no, you shouldn't. Yeah. You so, so it, it, and I knew that I knew that. And I, I have a whole set of watches that I, that are utilitarian that I, that you, are not expensive. And I, I, I normally try to use those just as a general rule, but it really made me think more detailed about, wow, that's mother of pearl and that, that could shatter right inside there. If I bump it against the, you know, the horse kicks me or bumps into me and, you don't have to hit it very hard to break it. So yeah, just common sense uh, things that a lot of people probably don't think of. And the stories you're telling are hysterical. It's great that you mentioned common sense. I mean, one of the biggest critiques I got about the book um, was that they were saying that the book um, has some tips in there that were common sense and that it shouldn't have been in there. And for the most part, 
the reason why I included that in there was because for someone like a salesperson or for someone as a, just a watch, regular watch enthusiast, when they pick up that book, the book should serve as a reference. And even though it's common sense for us, it might not be common sense for everybody else. It might not be common sense for someone just entering the field. You know, it might not be common sense for someone that's starting watches, you know, or collecting watches now. And for the most part, it, it, it's very, very important that it, it, it's in there. You know, and I have a couple of people who say that they, they, they purchase multiple copies of the book just to leave at their lobby. So when people are waiting for their watches to get fixed, that they would just sift through the book and, and kind of get like a quick, you know, synopsis of like watchmaking in general. And and for people to kind of see what goes behind the scenes. And that's been a great, like, apparently a, a quick read and stuff like that. Well, and, and speaking of that, it is a quick read. I think I, I bought it and I either read the whole thing in one sitting or finished it up the next day. But it's, it's an easy read. And like you said, that common sense doesn't apply to everybody right i mean some people are gonna yeah. read it and go oh i this is really i totally obvious, get this but yeah. they're involved they're much more involved with what you're the topic right but if yeah. i think every salesperson and let's face it we've all walked into anyone that, that buys watches we've all walked into a jewelry store and got that salesperson they're young they don't have a clue about watches, <laughs> right? I mean, they were yep. hired. They've got a minimum salary. They need to sell to make money and commissions, and they don't care about the rest of it. But to me, a, a book like this should be like a must-read for anyone that's going to start selling watches. Give it to hire them. Give it to them. Say you got two days to read this, and then you're, we're going to put you on the floor and you're going to start selling. And I think they'd be more successful, to be perfectly honest with you. It's easy to overlook um, the obvious. Yeah. Yeah, oh, man. I, I speaking of a quick read. I, I one of the one of the coolest stories I got uh, when the book first came out was I had a I had a, a doctor um, message me saying, um, I don't know if it's cool or not, but I just I just thought it was cool. Maybe it's a little uh, you know horrific, but he said that he had to call out of work just to finish reading the book, and he was an ER doctor, and I was just like. <laughs> I was like, wow. Let's I'm not like, mention hey, his man. name. Yeah, right. I was like, yeah, I'm like, hey, man, this is great. You know, I appreciate it, but I, I'm not sure if that book is that interesting <laughs> for you to be like calling out of ER. But oh, I, I always, I've always taken that. I still remember that. I always remember that kind of like uh, that message. And it was just like, That's it was funny. so surreal for me kind of when I read that. I was like, holy, <laughs> like I just called out of ER. Like, it was nuts. Wow. So funny. Man. Well, it, like I said, it is, it's an easy read. Um, definitely recommend it to everybody, whether, whether you're just a, a watch geek or a watchmaker or you're selling watches. It's such a good read. There's so much good information All in different it. Angles, it flows yeah. really nicely. Um, yeah, I just, I couldn't put it down. Like I said, yeah. I bought it. I read it in, in one, one and a half sittings. It's a very easy read, but it's just so packed full of, of, uh, of information you know yeah and it's down to the it's to the point yeah no, yeah absolutely. yeah i one thing you did mention in that book that I'll, I'll never forget and it's changed my buying habits is you were talking about how sales folks will you know they're they're closing up for shop for the night and they'll they'll put like 10 watches on their fingers and they're all jangling and knocking together <laughs> and they go stick them in oh the safe so i don't ever buy a watch without if I don't have my own loop with me, I will ask for a loop and I, I inspect the whole thing, top to bottom, bracelet, case, dial, everything. Because after yes. reading that, I'm like, man, I, now you, it helps you understand what can happen to these, you know, quote, brand new watches, right? 
man, you know, the, and that's that's one of the reasons why uh, when I first started, I had to polish so many watches because <laughs> these sales. You have I don't want to name the companies, but you would not believe the type of companies out there that do it. And it's not the company's fault. I think it's just the closing process they have at the location. Because everyone wants to get home and everyone wants to, yeah, no one wants to stay at work, I guess, right? So then everyone's like rushing and everyone's, you know, everyone wants to pack up as fast as they possibly can. And for the most part, the biggest tip I have for people that are buying watches is that if you already know what type of watch you want and you're already at the store, just request them to get a new one. Like, request yeah. them to get a brand new one in and then go from there. Uh, kind of like what Paddock does for the most part. Uh, right. So if you're there, you can just request to say, look, I understand these are watches. Are, these watches are in the case and whatnot, but it's okay if you know we can order one in. Um, of course, this doesn't, this doesn't, you know, this doesn't apply to limited edition watches, you know, or any of those watches. Or Rolex that come in. stainless steel. <laughs> yeah, the stainless steel thing is nuts. What do you actually? That's a, a totally not non watchmaking topic, but kind of is. I just brought. Let's talk about. It. I mean, it, it's crazy, yeah. right? Right now with Rolex and trying. Someone that, that is ready to buy a, a Rolex and they walk in, and we all know now, it, worldwide, you walk into a boutique or a or a, an AD and you ask to see a stainless steel Rolex, you get laughed at. Basically, it's crazy. Yeah. What I mean, what is your what's your take on all that? It's nuts. Um, well, here's the thing. I'll tell you the secret. I mean, I'll tell you this whole thing on your podcast so you guys have that like you know you have that bragging right. Right. And a lot of people don't understand why stainless steel. Uh, why stainless steel uh, Rolexes or watches in general kind of um, from these major brands are always out of stock, right? Yeah. So here's the thing. You got to think of it from a company's perspective. You have, of course, you have precious metal. You have platinum. You have 18 karat gold. You have steel and gold. And then you have stainless steel, right? Yep. So if you had to price that out, everyone would say stainless steel is entry are, are entry-level watches, correct? Sure. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. So... As you work up the chain, stainless steel should be entry level. Steel and gold should be, you know, a little bit more expensive, of course. And then the expensive watches are the gold, rose gold, platinum, etc. Sure. So the way these companies see it is, we know everyone's going to buy this stainless steel. We know for a fact everyone's going to buy it because it's probably the most cheapest option. Okay. And from there, they when everyone buys the stainless steel no one's buying the steel and gold or no one's buying the 18 karat gold no one's buying the the precious metal so sure. if we had to price that out we price that out from you know premium and basic right so the premium level watches would not get bought if the entry level watches or the basic level watches were available so a lot of these companies what they do is um, what you guys don't know in the industry is that making the watch takes the exact same time whether it's a stainless steel or 18 karat gold, for the most part, right? For the most part. So right. if you had an 18 karat gold watch and you had a stainless steel version of that same watch, it takes the same exact milling, same exact concept to, um, to, to, get it, to get it created and get it done, manufactured. So if you had to put five hours into creating a watch, let's just say, I'm random number, five hours to create a stainless steel version of the watch and five hours to create a 18 karat gold version of the watch, um, of course, the 18 karat gold watch is going to cost way more for five hours of work mm -hmm. because it's 18 karat so, uh, compared to the stainless steel. So the way these companies have figured it out is that if everyone's buying these entry-level watches and no one's buying the, 18, the, the premium level watches, let's make – and if our time is more for the 18 karat versions or our time is more for the premium 
precious metal versions of these same exact watches. Let's make the stainless steel watches hard to get. So they flipped it on his head. So they made stainless steel version watches the premium watches, even yeah. though they are entry level watches. So now when customers come in and they're like you said, they come in and they're ready to buy. And if they come in and they're the stainless steel version is not there and the and the salesperson telling them, Oh look, you know, these are you know, these are hard to get and you're gonna have to wait about a year or two. And even then when we do get those watches in, we do get one per store and they usually go to our VIP clients right away. Yep. And the very first thing is if you're ready to buy, a part of you is looking at the rest already, like, oh man, what else? And then the salesperson is there, oh well, we don't have this exact version in the stainless steel. We have it in steel and gold and or the 18 karat gold version. And when you're looking at it, people statistically from these companies, the way they see it is they will immediately buy the gold version and or steel and gold version of the watches. So they're able to make more money for their buck in those five hours of time they've spent to create and manufacture those watches than to, for you to simply buy the stainless steel version of it. Now, when you it's gotten to a point where the stainless steel versions are so, so unavailable and so limited that the stainless steel versions themselves have already eclipsed the price Correct. of 18 karat gold versions, yep. right? So it's, it's insane how you look, it, well, you look at it and like 18, it, stainless steel, why is this more expensive than, you know, 18 karat gold yeah. version of it? Yeah. And the way they're seeing, the way they're looking at it is because no one has it. So when no one has it, the price, the, the availability, the, the, the prestige gets higher and higher. Sure. Um, yeah. If you guys ever notice the auction houses or these, um, a lot of these, uh, yeah, auction houses. Look at the most expensive watches sold. You know, look at the watches that are going for more money than they were valued already. Most of them are stainless steel. Yeah. If you ever noticed that. Um, oh yeah, for so, sure. So, so for the most part, like that is a secret in the industry that no one knows about, and 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 then uh, or, or very very seldom talked about. Right. And the and and only the the people who. The people who get these watches in, the the presidents, the CEOs, and stuff like that, they know Hollywood about it. stars. Yeah, you know, for the most part, and everyone still. And this is, if you Google it, you know, this is a big question. Like, why are stainless steels more expensive than 18 karat versions? Yeah. Like, this is the reason why. You know, brands specifically price it out so that their their five hours of work for the manufacturing, their time spent manufacturing those watches, is worth it. They're doing it so that 18 karat gold version watches get sold, platinum version watches get sold. Because if the stainless steel watches were in heavy supply, if they actually met the if they actually met the, if they actually supplied the demand for those stainless steel watches, I can guarantee you the 18 karat gold versions, steel and gold versions, and the other precious metal versions, their sales would take a tank. And they make a lot more on those pieces. And they make a lot more in those pieces than they would on the stainless steel because at the end of the day, if they actually supply the demand, the stainless steel versions wouldn't cost much anymore. Because everyone wow. would be able to get one. Like yeah. just the other day, yep. I guess Ellen DeGeneres was spotted with a, a stainless steel. Was it the Rolex GMT? Probably the Pepsi. The Pepsi yeah. 
Yeah. And it's like, what is she? I mean, she collects Daytonas. But she's free advertising. But for she's, The stars yeah, exactly. are free advertising for these big brands, and they know that. Oh, it's yeah. They're so always going to get it. Yeah, they're always going to get it. This is the reason why. You know, these brands, they the way they figured out it was, if you ever looked at the, if you looked at it statistically, right, of, you know, the the recessions and the tanks that, you know, uh, you know, America gets hit with for the most part, you know, 2008, you know, yeah. the housing crisis, et cetera. The watch industry has, you know, it goes up and down for the watch industry, right? But the way they figured it out was how can we get people to buy more of these precious metals that we're getting in? How can we get these brand? How do how can we get these customers, these clients, our future audiences, and to be buying these because they realize that everyone's buying their entry level watches. Mm-hmm. For the most part, if you if you if you look at it from entry level, you know. Uh, like stainless steel, steel and gold, and 18 karat gold. Everyone with the right sense of mind would buy the stainless steel because it's the entry level one. Yeah. And the way they saw it was no one was buying the 18 karat gold or the steel and gold. So just by flipping the idea and flipping this, flipping the script kind of, and, and and flipping it on its head like the way they've been doing it as of late, you can kind of see how this has just changed the entire buying behavior. You know, like you said. And anytime anyone sees a stainless steel version of something now, they're just like, oh, crap, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's really- and for the most part, there's like also other, you know, sorry to interrupt, there's also other um, theories. There's other there's other theories in the sense where they say, um, why would we buy 18-karat gold version of a watch? And they say, and, and if you look at it, it's probably because the um, sometimes the gold, the precious metal, it fluctuates in terms of the dollar. Yeah. So if you look at a lot of these auction houses and these watches that sell for more, the reason why is that some of these stainless steel versions are always the more expensive ones or it gets sold at a higher rate is because it's you're, you're buying it for the value and you're not buying it for the precious metal. And you're buying it for the exclusivity. Yeah. Rarity. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> because when you factor in the steel or when you factor in the, the precious metal into it, then it kind of skews the the numbers a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, think of it like buying a Cartier watch. You know, like you have diamonds on it. So how much of that value is coming from the diamond? Yep. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, it so, makes total yeah, sense. We, we've yeah. talked about that yeah. a lot. Where a lot of the ladies Cartier have all the diamonds, but a quartz movement. But you're still spending five grand on a quartz watch. Yeah. 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 So well, that's why when when these auction houses sell these stainless steel watches, it's more for the value than what these than what the metal is, you know, or what the totally. watch has, you could, know. So could, th- that's another. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, please, please. Could it could it be just the simple fact that maybe they made too many at one time and had too much inventory of a pre- precious metal or rollasaur, and they're like, how do we get rid of these? We've got so many of them sitting here. Let's hold back the stainless um, steel so we can try to get all these, you know, all this inventory that we can't sell that it's sitting on our books. I could think that's be, kind of what he's saying, simple, right? They're, they that need they to be had a huge those. glut of them. For the most part, it, that that could definitely be it. You know, um, all I know is that for a fact, they were trying to figure out how we can get people to buy 18 karat gold watches. Think of it like the recession in 2008, 2010, all the way up until 2019. Now, um, some people are still hit with financial issues. You know, some people they don't some people don't have that type of money to be buying yeah. 18 karat gold watches. And if you tell someone your average watch buyer like, hey buy 18 karat gold watch they look at you like you're crazy you know they're like no i'll just pick up a stainless steel version <laughs> so the large majority of people looked at watches and said if i'm gonna buy a watch i'm gonna buy a stainless steel version 
because it's the cheapest. Sure. So no one was buying, not that no one was buying, you know, mm. of course you always have rich people buying stuff, but you know, for the large majority of people, no one was touching the 18 karat gold inventory. No one was touching, on off chance, you have people touching the steel and gold, but you didn't have many people buying 18 karat gold watches. It kind of makes me sad for the person that really has saved up three or four grand and wants to just buy a basic oyster perpetual, you know, stainless and they can't because because of this game it's crazy yeah for the most part wow well and and with the like you mentioned with the with the precious metals you're paying a lot you're not paying what the market rate for that metal is you're paying a lot more for it right so usually when you buy a precious metal watch for the most part when you walk out you've lost value right it's like driving off the lot with a car Whereas oh, now man. with the stainless steel, you, you walk yeah, off and you, you've made money on it. it it's just, yeah. it's, like well, you said, it's flipped on its head. Even now with the two-tones, oh, yeah. you're making money. I know. It's, it's, it is just... I, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent, but we've got yeah. you here. And I have it's a good such question, a, though, it's for, a, about it's that. It's such an interesting topic. So yeah. since, no, we, since we've been talking about the high-end watches, I've, I've kind of been doing a little thinking the last couple of weeks about some of the new trends in disposable mechanical watches like the and i hate to i hate to mention manufacturer names but okay we're already on the blacklist so yeah so and and we do love we love our swatch watches we love the brand they have a lot of good you know they're the parent company of a lot of great brands but with this new system 51 i i I understand that that's disposable because it's got a lot of plastic it's got rivets instead of screws and you know it's not cheap it's 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 more than a Seiko five. It's it could be up to two hundred bucks. What's your feeling on a on a disposable watch? And am I incorrect in in saying that that's not a repairable watch? Because I I can't find anything about repair on that watch. Oh man, uh, this is a loaded topic. <laughs> uh, for the Uh-oh. most part, right? Um, here's the thing: a lot of people were buying uh, a lot of people were buying watches. And, and we mentioned it earlier, right? A lot of people buy watches without the idea of getting them serviced. So a lot of people, when they buy a watch, they're like, oh, this watch should work forever, right? right. And a lot of people, when they buy these watches, they, uh, for the most part, if they want a regular watch that tells time, a battery-powered watch is more than sufficient. Mm-hmm. But you have some people who want the prestige of owning a mechanical watch on their wrist. Sure. So Swatch was filling in that void kind of, while because you also have like what other watches like i hate the name brands like you said too as well but like let's say like you think of like a timex right like a quartz powered timex mm-hmm. Which so we if have, you we have, have some if, of those yep <laughs> sure so if a, if a timex if the timex stops working you change the battery right and let's say the battery doesn't do it anymore and you have to get a service right does it make sense to pay service fees or does it make sense to get a brand new timex yeah because they're just going <clears> to <throat> pop a new movement in general you don't I mean, generally, to service the quartz, it's going to be cheaper just to put a new movement in it, right? For the most part, yeah. yeah. Um, well, and that's but, what happened when people were swapping out their automatic movements in their old watches with quartz. With that quartz that was a trend yeah. for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And it still actually goes on, too. Um, yeah. Uh, a lot of these older version manual wine watches, a lot of these customers, a lot of these customers now are um, getting it retrofitted to quartz movements inside. So you see a lot of that as well. Um, but for the most part, so this whole mechanical disposable um, disposable mechanical thing, um, you don't want to service that, honestly, uh, yeah. because there's really not many things there for us to service in terms of the way it's designed. It's not designed in a way where, of course, you will have someone who will tell you it can get serviced. I'm, I'm sure like there's going to be a watchmaker out there that says, oh, you're wrong. You can service it. Right. Um, 
but the time you spend servicing that is cheaper to just buy a brand new yeah. version of that watch, right? Sure. And yeah. you almost have to factor those things into your account. Now, the only only exception I have for any disposable watches or anything like that in that sense are sentimental watches. Mm. Mm-hmm. If the sent if the if the if it's you know someone if it's like your grandmother who gave it to you, you know, a family member gave it to you, it's sentimental, then by all means the price justifies the means, right? Um, yeah, that's interesting. Absolutely. Just like anything, if it's a gift from, you know, special wedding gift, anniversary. Well, and if you look at a Seiko, like a Seiko 5, perfect example, 7S26 movement, totally serviceable movement, right? It's it's metal. It's, you that's can one of my favorite watches. It. But if you pay 60 bucks for a Seiko 5 on Amazon and you take it in, it's going to be 250 to service it. If it's Doesn't not make sentimental, sense. yeah, does that really make sense? If it's sentimental, I get it. But if it's not, it's like toss the watch and buy a new one, right? Yeah, I agree. Are there so, some watches that are? Um, <clears throat> I know there's. A, I know there's a range. Like a Rolex is going to be one to two thousand for for maintenance. Would a very very simple automatic be a lot lot less, like uh, one hundred and fifty, say, like for a Seiko five, for our listeners who have a so, lot of, you know, mm, entry level. So it, it honestly depends on the amount of work. So here's what happened. Back in the days, these brands, these brands and these independent watchmakers um, would charge a service based on the brand, based on the model, right? Mm-hmm. So for example, I'll give you a perfect example. A Breitling has, seven, seven, has a movement, uh, has an ETA movement called 7750 inside. Yep. Right? Um, a Swiss Army Victorinox chronograph also has a 7750 movement in the side right mm-hmm. same movement different brand different name different you know manufacturer now when you bring in that brightling for full service and you compare it to the price you uh, when you bring in that victorinox into for full service um you're looking at about maybe six to eight hundred dollars for a brightling full service on that movement and then you're looking at maybe four or five hundred for a swiss army Full right. service, yep. even though it's the same exact movement. Yep. So why the price discrepancy, right? So that's because they used to price it out at a brand level. They used to price it out at um, the model, right? Mm-hmm. So now uh, the industry has slowly been starting to move into a, 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 or even just for an independent level, right? The independent watchmakers, they're moving it towards a way where they're servicing it on based on the workload. So uh, at an independent level, if you bring in a watch to an independent watchmaker, and you bring in both watches, Breitling, that Breitling and that Victorinox to the same watchmaker, in theory, it should cost you the same amount. So he might price the Breitling less because of the Victorinox, because of the workload, uh, because the workload being the same exact thing. That's if that makes any sense. That makes total sense. Well, and it and depends I, on if it's broken too. Well, and, and exactly, so, and that's the thing. And this is perfect because I I did want to kind of transition into the discussion around servicing because we have we've been doing some Q and A episodes, and one of the questions from one of our listeners was around servicing. And there's there's so much noise out there when it comes to servicing. You've got one camp that says. <laughs> you know, if, if it says the, the service interval is five years, you service it at five years. Then you've got another camp that says, no, 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 that's ridiculous. You, your Rolex can run for 20 years, no problem, and keep great time. And Rolex is going to charge you the same whether they have to replace one part or 50 parts. But what what you're saying is that we're moving away from those types of models more to 
charging for really what the work what the workload is what's involved in fixing that watch is that is that yep. accurate yeah i would say that's accurate um in the book i also covered this a little bit as well i believe um yep. uh, talking about um exact same thing you just mentioned because the way you got to see it is there's two 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 camps right like you said in terms of service intervals so the average service interval is like the range is kind of between 40 years to seven years give or take and you have one school of thought that always says we need to service it every four to seven years give or take um and over a period of time you can see how that adds up how much money mm-hmm. if you're getting your wash service every 47 years you can see how that's just gonna like take a tank on your on your in your bank account yep um another school of thought says if it's not broke don't fix it mm-hmm. and and at the end of the day the way you it just honestly depends on where on what you do for a living on how much you how often you wear your watch right so if you uh, what school of thought are you from are you servicing whenever they're saying servicing or are you servicing only when it's broken <laughs> so that it's a great question and i guess the answer is we're not a hundred percent sure because mm-hmm. like if we buy a vintage watch it, it immediately goes in for service because we know it's hard to get parts we want to make sure that thing is in tip-top shape before it starts we Perfect. start using it all the time it, that that's like zero question i don't care if even they've said it's had a recent service it goes in right it's, it's perfect for us it's worth it now for our newer pieces and we you know, PG and I have really, we've always worn watches, but we haven't really gotten super heavy into the hobby in, until like the last three years. So we haven't hit those service intervals yet. And if I think about having to service all of my watches in that service interval, we're going to be oh, destitute, man. right? We have such a huge collection. Yeah. So it's going to be a mix for us. I mean, I think, you know, probably for our more expensive pieces, we're going to be more in the camp of, yeah, let's, let's go ahead and get it serviced within that normal service interval. But like for our Seikos and stuff, and those were probably just going to wear and wear and wear. And, and when they start having issues, we'll make a decision. We're either going to service it or it's just done. So I think it's for us, it's a mix to be perfectly honest with you. All right. Well, here's how I kind of look at it. And I think PG, I'm not sure if PG, have you gotten that to that section in the book yet? Or, um, yes, I are have. you still getting, Oh, you have, right? Okay, so you kind of know where I'm going to go with this. Mm-hmm. Um, for the for the most part, right, if you have a modern watch, very, very close, very, very similar to, you guys are already doing kind of, if you have, if you have a modern watch, um, it might make sense to just hold on to it until it breaks, right? Right. Because um, if it breaks and you bring it in for full service, for the most part, um, you know, let, let's do the math, right? If you have a watch that it costs $500 for full service each time you bring it in, and you bring it in on average, let's say every five years, right? In a ten-year window, um, in a ten-year window, you're paying less if you bring it in just once when it sure. breaks than yep. if you are bringing it, you know, every so often for your service cycle. Yep. And that's only for modern watches. Uh, the problem with doing uh, this with vintage watches is if you only bring it in when it breaks you've already kind of lost that window of opportunity. It's already too late. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for vintage watches, you know, whether it's the wheels or, you know, parts. whether it's discontinued, these parts, it's way harder to kind of, if, if you bring in a vintage watch when it breaks, you're going to look at a way higher price point yep. than you would if you brought it in for preventative maintenance, you know. Um, compared to a modern watch, if you bring it in when it breaks, it might cost the same amount as if you brought it in for regular maintenance, you know? Sure. So you got to really factor those things into account. 
And honestly, I, I'm not going to tell someone to choose one. Or Some people just some people sleep better at night, kind of just bringing their watches <laughs> in every so often. So I'm not going to be the one to kind of tell them, like, look, bring it in only when it breaks, you know? Um, the main important part is if you can sleep at night <laughs> with your decision, then go for right. it. Yep. Yeah, yeah, like a broken, like a good example was I have a little nurse's watch. and uh, It's about 100 years old. And I had it serviced right when I bought it. And um, I think it was $125 for service because it was running. Yep. And then we had the broken Bellmatic yep. that was, what, 275 to yep. service? It wasn't and even the, the Bulova was, the, was, the was oh, broken the and was it broken. was more expensive right. because, and that was from the seventies, but, and you, you know, Anthony, you even touched on this in your book is that you, you have a potential with the older watches where they, the watchmaker can't get parts. So now you're talking about having to make a custom part, which obviously is mm-hmm. massively labor intensive, right? Oh my goodness. If you guys oh. know the real price. Believe it or not, the price that a lot of these watchmakers are charging for vintage watches are they're not even being priced out correctly um, if if you're fixing broken parts on a vintage watch. Because if you if I if I have to create a part, you have to understand that uh, there's math involved in that. So, like, I have to calculate the pinions, the leaves, the the, the (laughs) amount of uh, the tooth, you know, like I have to kind of and there's a specific variable I need to account for. And I have, to f- I have to find X, you know, mm-hmm. in the formula. And then from there, <laughs> I have to, yeah, right. And, I, and from there, I have to I have to create it, right. And then now you have the craftsmanship uh, standpoint from the background now. Like, how long is it going to take me to create this part? You know, like, if I can make, if I can, if I can service a watch in three hours and make $600, right, you know, and creating this wheel is going to take me four hours, you know, like, it. Am I going to charge the customer 500 extra dollars? You know, like you got to factor some of those things into account yeah. uh, for vintage watches. So, you know, like I for independent watchmakers out there, like that's that might be something they need to pay attention to, you know, and especially for a customer. Like if it's way easier, that's why it's so it's so much easier to bring in a vintage watch for preventative maintenance than it is for you to bring it in when it breaks. Yep. Yep. Cool. Well, then we're doing the right thing. I feel better. <laughs> and it sounds like you might be losing money on vintage watches because you can't turn around and say, yeah. gosh, I had to yeah, I had to make three you'll... gears for this and I, it really cost me $1,000 to make and they probably paid 300 bucks for the watch. Yeah. 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 No, for a fact. I mean, some of these, wow. vin- and some of these, so we're looking at like your modern independent watchmaker who's repairing modern watches, right? Yeah. Now there are independent, there are vintage level watchmakers out there that only love repairing vintage watches. Um, and that's great for them. And for the most part, those vintage watchmakers, they have like a stockpile of these mm-hmm. vintage movements mm-hmm. that they can sift through and just pull the part from. Right. Yeah. So for them, it's, it's cheaper, you know, for them, it makes sense for them to take those watches in, sure. um, for a watchmaker that doesn't have any inventory like that. And you also have to factor in that. Some of these watchmakers are perfectionists. You know, they're OCD. You know, about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So they want to make sure everything is tip top and and running smooth. They want to make sure everything's good, and they're gonna they're gonna go from they're gonna go to the depths of the earth to kind of make that right for you, kind of. Yeah. And in that sense, the price they set up though for the for the you know for your to get your vintage watch fixed, you know, it, it they're losing money immediately. Right. 
you know so like stuff like that then you know on a side tangent the most the craziest thing i've ever seen for vintage watches um was a customer brought in a vintage patek philippe pocket watch and we sent it to patek philippe and patek philippe was like and this is a long time ago and and the patek philippe was saying that it's gonna cost a couple thousand just to do an estimate an estimate? Just to pull it Just apart and look at it. Just an estimate, yeah. Oh and they my God. said, um, whether you accept the estimate or not. You get charged. It's going to cost a couple thousand. You're going to get charged. Oh, man. Um, and that has to go to Switzerland. So you're going to have to wait about six months for this estimate. Oy, yeah. Okay. And this is a long time ago. And, and I'm sure the process is different. And some people are like, holy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then um, I forgot how much it cost, but it was some obscene amount of money for them to service that watch and the customer at the end they said no um but yeah you know you gotta fact these brands will do that to you you know not just protect philippe look at rolex you know if you bring in an old enough rolex if you bring in an old enough rolex rolex would even say no we don't touch this anymore yeah right? mm-hmm. or if the watch is old enough but not old enough for them to not touch it they'll say all right we're going to charge you six hundred dollars to do an estimate whether you approve it or not. <laughs> right, right. Um, and then, you know, it goes to Switzerland, right? And then even then, when it goes to Switzerland, um, it's going to take a year, you know, uh, two years sometimes. And at, and at any point within that time period, they can just send you a letter saying, look, we tried our best and we can't, can't fix it. Wow. Yep. It's wow. happened. Yikes. We, we find that we are moving away from even like using watch winders all the time because burning your green time on your it's like inventory management i did that for a large airline for many years you don't want to burn your green you know you want to get as much use out of your watch so don't burn your green time on a winder yeah yeah and if you're I gonna agree. have a piece like yep. that yep Very i think i covered that in my book too you do um, yeah okay yeah. good 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 <laughs> you do talk about yeah. it <laughs> we like your book. yeah no it's insane like you have some of these you have like oh man you have these major publications you know, I don't want to name drop or anything like that, but you know, you have these major publications saying, "Yeah, you gotta own a watch winder." You know, you mm-hmm. gotta put your watch on the thing twenty four seven, and that just wears it out so much faster. Mm-hmm. And you have no idea. You know, like on the outside, on the external side, as a customer, as a as an owner, you might not see it, but just because you don't see it doesn't mean that your 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 gears inside your wheels the pivots the oils yeah they're getting worked 10 times harder um because it's assuming you're wearing the watch right yeah. you know if you're yeah. putting the watch winder, it's supposed to mimic yep. you yep. so if you're on the if you're putting your watch on a watch winder 24 7 you're wearing that watch 24 7 you yeah. know so if your average service cycle is seven years and you're wearing it and you're putting on the watch winder every single day you you better expect to bring that watch in for service sooner right, rather than right. later sure. you know i can yeah. see where someone who's very elderly or someone who doesn't understand some people just don't understand how to set a watch if it's got yes. some complications yeah. that are like perpetual really, calendars, calendars and, and moon phases and things i can yeah. see where there's a, a real benefit for that but it, it, every case is different yeah oh you man. just have to try to evaluate <laughs> it with common sense yeah. <laughs> yes common sense you know if you look at it from an average joel's perspective it makes sense to to just wind the watch up and set the time on their own and call it a day. Yeah. You know, yeah. but if it's an elderly and you know they don't maybe they're not active enough when they're wearing the watch, that's a big that's a big issue too. Yeah. You know, when they wear the watch, they don't they're they're either you know they, they don't walk fast enough or they don't walk enough or you know they they're not as yeah. active. Yeah. yeah. And the watch doesn't get wound. So a major major common complaint from a lot of independent watchmakers 
are uh, are elderly people you know like they, they they bring it in and they're like oh the watch isn't running or the watch isn't keeping time and then you kind of look at their activity level and it's like well that's why yeah you know so yeah. uh we find that when we have elderly people put their watches on watch winders the amount of people who come in for timing issues drastically go down sure. drastically mm. go down sure well, Anthony, I mean, I, we I could talk to you about this stuff for hours, but I we're, we're up we're up on about an hour and fifteen minutes, and I did want to give you an opportunity to talk about your watch course because that's kind of the latest thing in your repertoire of offerings, and uh, you know, like I said, I signed up. I think I was one of the first fifty or something. I, as soon as I saw that you had come up with this, I signed <laughs> yeah. up for it because I like I said, I just dig this kind of stuff. Talk about the watch course, how that came about. What are you? Are you trying to encourage more people to get into watchmaking? Is this just for people like me that just want to geek out on Mm -hmm. it? How how did this all come about? And what do you want to tell our listeners about it? Well, here's the thing. You know, when I first started, you know, I try to kind of educate people behind the scenes of watchmaking and, and, you know, the watch industry and stuff like that. And then with a book as well. um, Another another avenue that I kept getting uh, messaged about was watchmaking, like learning watchmaking. And everyone was, uh, they were sending me videos from other people teaching watchmaking or, or, you know, even I just looked at it kind of myself briefly. And and some of the stuff that they teach um, uh, isn't industry standard, you Mm -hmm. know, like it's not, it's like it's either old or outdated information or they are showing you their version of it, you know. And there were a lot of issues with that, you know, like there, there are a lot of things that people are learning the wrong way and they think it's the right way. And so that became a huge thing kind of where a lot other watchmakers were interested in learning uh, industry standard. A, a, other uh, watch enthusiasts who wanted to tinker around with stuff wanted to learn watchmaking at home, but to learn it the industry standard way. You know, so I, at the end of the day, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to in, reinvent the wheel. I'm not saying that when you finish my course, you are a certified watchmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you finish the course, I can definitely guarantee that you you know more about watchmaking than you would before you came in, and that what you learned is the correct uh, industry standard uh, application and, and, and process of doing things at, at the current time. Right. And of course, it's gonna it's gonna you know it's gonna evolve, it's gonna update, it's gonna keep going. Um, but for the most part, it was just seeing all the issues out there kind of and seeing how you know so noisy out there in terms of what what's right what's wrong uh, i just wanted to see at this point to show what i know what the industry does and how i feel about certain things and just to fill in that gap kind of that's kind of been nagging me about it and it's just been a project since you know and then the, the reception i've gotten from it is just ridiculous it's like everyone's like they're happy they're they're um, I have a lot of watchmakers that actually messaged me too when I released the 2092. Um, they're like, "Holy, <laughs> we've been doing it wrong," you know. Like, and it's it's cool, you know, when you when you do something like that, and and um, people are receptive and people are really really interested in it. That it's really amazing. And um, one of the biggest things also, and I'm sure we we, we spoke about this before too, was the the camera angle. You know, the mm-hmm. biggest issue was the camera angle. Yeah. You, you know when you when you watch when you learn watchmaking over the computer or you know online the camera angle is everything you know like you got to get the right angle the right view and it's not supposed to be a substitute from learning traditional watchmaking or learning watchmaking in person but it is close you know yeah. like it is very very close 
Wow. Well, that and you know, I will. I have personal experience with this, and I'll tell our listeners: be careful what you uh, what you find and what you watch, especially on YouTube. You can you search on YouTube, you can figure out how to do anything, right? You can find <laughs> someone teaching something about pretty much any topic. And I was working oh, yeah. on a, an SKX, a Seiko SKX, right? 7S26 mm -hmm. movement. And, and I, I had found some video online. I'm like, Oh, this is great. I can follow the video. And, and, uh, you know, it got to the part where there's a screw that um, comes out the opposite direction and it didn't, the guy didn't say anything about it, right? So I go to unscrew oh. it and boom, snap the head oh. right off, you know? And yeah, and I'm not a, I don't have the tools to get that out and stuff. And so I ended up buying another movement that I could pop in the watch. But that's that's a perfect example, I think, of why, why people should be looking at courses like yours because you're going to prescriptively go through this and make sure that people are aware of what they're doing and that they're doing things the right way and that they're hopefully going to be oh, able to man. avoid pitfalls like that right i was yeah. so ticked off when that happened <laughs> yeah did you see the um the initial video in the disassembly section where i kind of go over quickly the entire process i, I haven't um, i literally just watched your first intro video that's the only thing i've seen so far oh man when you get a chance after this just go to the yeah. disassembly section and that very first video click on it okay All so right. what to avoid pitfalls like that when I was first starting off and I was looking, I'm like, I have to be able to describe everything to um, the, the viewers in a way where they can understand it. Because if I, at any point, um, uh, cut out a certain section, you will be lost, right? Right. So what I ended up doing was shooting a video from start to finish of disassembling the entire movement. And then on the right-hand side, I had, a, I had a picture in the top right-hand corner of what I'm touching. So anything my tweezer touched on that movement, you saw what I was touching on the right top right hand side. Oh, that's nice. so you cool. saw the you saw the name of that specific part, and then you saw what it was. The, you saw the name for it on a technical document, and then you saw on a, a contextual aspect like what it was for. Right. Okay. So yeah. it was very important, you know. Like and and you'll see it throughout the disassembly section. Like I'll give you my thoughts. I'll, I'll cover. You know, I cover, you know, whether this is a left-handed screw, right-handed screw, you know, like <laughs> I cover, you know, where to be careful of and when you remove this, what to look for, uh, common mistakes while doing this. And it's, it's it, you know, I've, I've had problems with that too, you know, so that that's why like the biggest thing for me was how can I get this across where I can be damn near close to be teaching this person right next to them, but through the computer. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Now that, and that's, I'm going to tell all of our listeners, definitely go, go check out Anthony's website. It's nobswatchmaker.com. He's nobswatchmaker on Instagram. Sign up for this course if you're at all interested in the intricacies of watching, even if you don't want to do your own services or it's just, it's going to give you more appreciation for it. I'm looking forward to going through the whole course. Like I said, I've already done some other courses and dude, I don't know how you're pricing it, where you're pricing it, but it is really competitively priced. I mean, you oh my get a goodness. ton for your money in this course. It's nuts. When I first started, especially for you, since you pre-ordered it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the pre, the pre-order price was nuts, man. It, yeah. it, it was such a bargain. like, Everyone was messaging me saying I was an idiot. <laughs> like some were telling Aww. me, they're, they're like, they're like, you're giving away all your secrets, everything you do from start to finish for that price. They're like, man, you are a fool. And I was just like, well, it's a pre-order price. <laughs> this is supposed to be, you know, this is supposed to be a steal, right? You know, yep. so that was that. But even your, yeah. even the normal price, it, it's so competitively priced for anything you're going to find out there. Even like 
you know, online or books or what it's just, it's really competitively priced at even at the full retail. So definitely I recommend well, I'm all of our listeners it, check it it'll out. It'll bring in a lot of new people because with the, there's so many micro brands out there now. Oh, yeah. There are so many more watches. Oh, it's kind of like a, it's like a Renaissance. Mm-hmm. So what's going to happen in five, 10 years when these watches need to be lubed and, and there's no watchmakers and, and no one's, no one's around yeah. to fix them. Yeah, man. And, and honestly, this is the whole reason why I kind of also did this um, was because I also wanted to get people interested in watchmaking, you know, like here's the thing, right? If you look at how much watchmaking to learn watchmaking costs, it's insanely expensive, mm-hmm. you know, just to go to Switzerland or uproot your life, whether it's, whether we're talking, you know, currency uh, expensive or whether you're talking about losing time from your family, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's expensive. It's a huge toll. And when you look at it that way, if, if you purchase a course online and that, and you actually attempt to tinker with it and it sparks an interest where you look at it and like, this is something I really want to do. Like, I want to take this to the next level. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or where there's something you tinker around with and then you're like, this is way too much. And, you know, like, I'm not going to do this. Like this, like I, I'm losing everything. I'm losing all these parts and, or you get frustrated, you know, like, or, um, or at the end of the day, you're just like, this is really not for me. Um, it's relatively cheap compared to if you were to just say, you know what, I'm going to go do watchmaking and then pay the obscene amount of money to go overseas or uproot your life and then realize halfway through that you're like, no, this isn't for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you have no idea. The industry doesn't even tell you this. Right. There are a lot of students coming from these watchmaking schools when they first graduate, um, and they immediately come out into the field. And when they get exposed to the salespeople and the real life version of watchmaking, like strap changes and servicing and, and, and dealing <laughs> the with mundane stuff. They, yeah. They quit. They quit watchmaking altogether. Yeah. They quit watchmaking altogether. So some of these, I won't name these schools or whatnot, but there are some schools that actually teach for free. And wow. uh, only thing you have to pay for is tuition. Uh, only thing you have to pay for is, is uh, uh, the tools. Yeah, right? I've re- I have heard uh, about that, yeah. And when you come out and, and you're in school and these teachers, these instructors, they're, t- they're, they're telling you you're going to be the next George Daniels. <laughs> or he, he's like a watchmaking figure, you know, like, mm-hmm. he, he, oh, you're going to be that. the next you know, Roger Speak Smith. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and they're like, oh, you're going to be the next best thing in watchmaking. And you could be this. You can create your own brand and yada, yada, yada. And everyone's eating this up. And as students and you're fresh in the field, you don't know any better. Sure. You know, when you come out into the field and your first experience is a salesperson tossing a watch at you, <laughs> saying, oh, you change the strap <laughs> and you're experienced and you see all this arm cheese come out at you, you know? And, oh, yeah. And then, like, out of the ultrasonic like, cleaner. <laughs> oh, man. Like the very first thing, like it, it, it's, it's not uncommon. And I'm not going to lie. And I don't know the exact number, but it was a huge issue. Um, but it's not uncommon for these students to just drop out altogether, yeah. just leave watchmaking and, and altogether. And um, it's nuts, you know, to consider the fact that how much time you just spent learning watchmaking, how much time you you put into it, uprooting your life to go to these things and to learn all this stuff for you to just quit altogether. Yeah. You know, if you purchased a course and you were to do it at home and then, you know, you know what I mean? Like, and then you, you, you kind of you're kind of given the real facts up front, like the real expectations. Like, look, you're going to have salespeople breathe on your neck. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to have hit the fan, yep. you know, and, and little things like that. At least it adjusts your perspective and it, it doesn't, you don't come out and, and you're not shell-shocked 
when when things hit the fan you know yeah, yeah. you're yeah. A, and... you're a big fish in a little pond and then you get out into the real world and you're the, the little guppy yeah in the big yeah pond of, big yeah pond of new know? york city <laughs> or silicon valley Man. or yeah whew. yeah yeah and, and that was the biggest thing so i mean hopefully hopefully you know this answers the questions for a lot of people um and you you mentioned a great point of like why i started it kind of like there's an article on my on, on my website right how to get into watchmaking mm-hmm. and um i've looked at the statistics for that over the over the um over the years because i posted that in 2017 i believe yes it was 2017 yeah. you have no idea how much traffic i get from that specific post like i get insane amounts of traffic and in that post i mentioned the practical way to get into watchmaking and it was to just pick up like a clone version of a 6498 pick up pick up a couple you know pick up a tweezer pick up a loop pick up a couple screwdrivers and just go at it right yep. and just like see and tinker and and if you get frustrated or see if you see if you like it see if you enjoy it right yeah so then i guess the biggest question afterwards was that people were saying oh this is great you know they want to be watchmakers but they just don't know what they're doing when they're taking it apart mm-hmm. you know like they don't they don't know how to oil they don't know how to lubricate it and they don't know how to you know properly disassemble clean it you know so this was created to kind of fill that gap and Ever since then, it's just been nuts. You know, it's it's this course has been taking so much of my time. <laughs> and speaking of the vintage, you know, vintage parts and stuff like that. Oh man, the bang for the buck for these uh, for for a lot of a lot of the guys who enrolled is nuts. Like I'm just spending day in day out, kind of recording, video editing, recording, video editing. Um, haven't even got a chance to like update the blog. Oh man, it's just <laughs> been like it's been taking a toll on me, man. Well, it looks like it, it looks is like it's most gonna be worth it. definitely worth yeah. it. So I, yeah, it, Anthony, th- this has been awesome, man. This has been a ton of fun having you on. I've really been looking forward to this, and I, I hope uh, I hope you've been able to help educate our listeners a little bit having you on the show, and and uh, definitely encourage folks to to go check you out, man. This has been great. Really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, no, thank. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. Yeah, thank you, and thanks for giving us some of your precious weekend time. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, I know <laughs> it's hard. Kids. You're busy and we, we record on weekends. So we appreciate you being flexible. And, uh, I hope to do this again. We'll, we, we'll have you on the show again. This was a lot of fun. Oh man. The, the time flew by. It's been, it's been how, how, how long has it been? We're almost at an hour and a half. It's one of our longer podcasts. So, the, oh, but man. it's, it's been such great information. Yeah. And uh, I bet I got some hungry geese out there that are just waiting for me to <laughs> get <them> their breakfast. <laughs> Oh man. Well, yeah. So let's, let's wrap it again, guys and gals, um, all of our listeners out there, please go and check out Anthony's stuff. Uh, again, no BS watchmaker.com. He's no BS watchmaker on Instagram. Go check him out. Follow him. There's always good tips that you're going to find on Instagram when you follow Anthony and just highly recommend going and checking him out. So, um, yeah, I think that's a wrap, man. Thanks again. We really had a lot of fun. This was a good one. Thank you so much. Yep. No, no. Thank you, guys. It's it's been a pleasure. It's it, it's actually the time flew by so fast. It, it's insane just like talking. Yeah, it's it just that that's why we started this podcast. It, it just this stuff flies by when you're when you're talking about something that you love and and yeah, uh, yeah. We really enjoy it. So thank you again. Um, as always, folks, please go and follow us on Instagram. Uh, Love and watches on Instagram. Loveandwatches.com. 
check out the website. We've got the YouTube channel that we're spinning up that we've started to post some videos on. We're going to have some new stuff coming out in the next week or so. Um, I am Ranch Racer and uh, on, on Instagram. And I am Perpetual Girl. And thank you very much, everyone. And we will see you all for episode 22. Take care.